Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. The cliche is to ask your family doctor about treatments or referrals, but it's hardly inclusive to say that when the reality is that millions of Canadians don't have a family doctor or nurse practitioner. As an emergency physician, I see lots of patients who don't have one and are wondering, as I do, how they're supposed to get routine care. So this week on The Dose, we're asking, how can I take charge of my health if I don't have a family doctor? Hi, Peter. Welcome back to The Dose. Thanks very much, Brian. Have you taken on more patients now than you have in the past, you know, because uh, of this whole issue of a lot of Canadians not having a family doctor? Yeah, and I've had a lot of patients say, hey, Dr. Lynn, you know, can you look after my cousin that just moved here and all this kind of stuff, right? So there's a lot of people that come up to me and ask me for that. And and what can you say, right? Of course, you're going to say, yes, I'm going to try and look after them as best as I can. But at some point, you know, we're running out of physicians to do that. Uh, and so therefore, you know, we do have to figure out how to do things better and more efficiently. And part of that, I suppose, in the interim is figuring out how to do things uh, if you don't happen to have access to that regular primary care that we keep saying is so good for you. So we're gonna, that's what we're going to be talking about this time. Um, but before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it, just ad lib. Hi, I'm Peter Lin. I'm a family doctor in Toronto, and uh, I'm also one of the directors at the Canadian Heart Research Centre. And my whole day is looking after patients in the office uh, and making sure that uh, they stay healthy. So you are the person we want to talk to. And this is a really unorthodox topic. But let's start with some medical orthodoxy. Give us your best take on why it's important to have a family doctor or a healthcare or other healthcare provider that you see on a regular basis. Well, I think it's the quarterback sort of looking after multiple things. So uh, it's like a, a good checkup for your car, right? So you don't want to just look after the wheels or just look after the components. You want to look after the whole thing. And by having all the information, we can piece together things. So think of family physician as being the sort of the hub and spoke kind of concept. And so that's the hub where all the information is gathered. And as family doctors, we're very good at uh, looking for patterns. So primary care nurse practitioners, those kinds of things really good at pattern recognition to try and figure out what's going on and put the pieces together. And that's really why primary care or somebody that you see regularly is so important because they have all the puzzle pieces that they can put together fairly quickly. Let's get practical about that. Uh, I want to ask you at what age uh, it, it becomes really necessary to have access to that. And I say that, you know, as an emergency physician who sees lots of 20-somethings uh, who uh, have obviously come to us for episodic care because, you know, if they had a family doctor, maybe they had a pediatrician, uh, maybe they had their parents' family doctor and they haven't sought one out on their own. And I kind of shrug and say, yeah, they're young, they're healthy, they don't need it. So, uh, you know, at, at what point is it absolutely necessary to have a family doctor or do you think that people of all ages should have one? 
I think everybody should have one, but you might not need too much care. So for example, you know, during the good years, like 18 to 25, very few things happen to you other than accidents, alcohol, and sexually transmitted diseases, you know, perhaps. So the idea is that the type of care that you need increases with time. So whereas when we're looking at a 40, 50 year old, now we're entering into the heart attack phase, the stroke phase, uh, cancers may be popping up then you need more help in terms of making sure that everything is going well. But if you think about it, if we give you good guidance, you know, when you're 18, 20, 25, then maybe you won't end up having diabetes when you're 40 or 50. So that's why I think we do need a family physician or this sort of continuity of care because we have a lot of nurse practitioner and pharmacists even taking on some of these roles. And so we need that continuity of care to make sure that you don't get into trouble. So that's why the amount of care that we need will depend on your family history. In other words, what kind of loading do you have for all sorts of diseases, your lifestyle, and all the risk factors that you have. So we might spend very little time with you because you're doing all the right things, in which case we're just giving you guidance you know, and say, okay, so over the next couple of years, this is what you should be looking out for. And I think that's really what primary care would be great at. In other words, preventing diseases from occurring as opposed to watching you as you develop the diseases and then we manage the diseases for you. So I, I, I think that's a little bit of a pipe dream that I've had is that if we can prevent illness, uh, it's way better than trying to treat the illness itself. So, of course, uh, on this episode of The Dose, we're not dealing in pipe dreams. And as you know, about 6 million adults in Canada are without a family doctor. So how should they go about finding one? I'm tempted to say they should contact Dr. Peter Lin's office and claim to be a relative <laughs> of one of their patients. That's right. Re relatives always get special treatment unless they don't like the relatives, in which case we don't let them come in. So right away, it's family and friends. So in other words, who are their physicians? And so if they go in and speak to their doctor and say, I have so-and-so, he, you know, no family doctor, could, do you mind looking after them? And that's a much more personal way as opposed to just doing a cold call, so to speak. There's, of course, clinic that are accepting new patients as well. So there's now these, these organizations, so these physicians groups that are getting together. And so therefore, they want to show that they're looking after the community. So therefore, they want to take on new patients, etc. And then you have the College of Physicians and Surgeons where all the physicians are registered there. And we can kind of mark off, are we taking new patients or not? So you can check there as well. So multiple ways of trying to check. And if you happen, unfortunately, end up in the hospital, sometimes the hospital will assign you somebody as well. Uh, if you, they know that you don't have a family doctor. Now, that one is already trouble because you've had to use the hospital. So ideally, we kind of catch you before you need um, sort of the more expensive or the the more uh, extensive kind of services of the healthcare system. And uh, we're going to, I, I'm going to introduce uh, a concept that we're going to get back to a number of times. Most provinces have some kind of a toll-free number that you can call and speak to a healthcare provider who might be able to let you know about uh, physicians in the area that are taking on new patients. Have I got that right? Yes. And and those ones are very good. But then those services are are excellent because they keep track of all the new people that are coming out. So we have new graduates and things like that. And so therefore, that matching would be a very nice service for people that, that are not able to find physicians. So we've talked about seeking out a family doctor. If they can't find one, are there other healthcare providers they can turn to? Oh, for sure. Pharmacists, for example, very knowledgeable. So they can direct you in the right direction for certain treatments and things like that. And more importantly, they're able to tell you when you need help, right? In other words, uh, this headache doesn't sound right, you know, that kind of thing. So it's important that they can help you with whatever ailment that you're having now, but they can also direct 
correct you uh, in case it looks scary to them because they have been trained and so therefore they can recognize things. Same thing as nurse practitioners. Uh, if you have access to a nurse practitioner, they're very helpful. Um, and then patient advocacy groups um, in the sense that uh, sort of like a, a guide, you know, so for example, you know, we have patients going through cancer uh, uh, treatments. And so sometimes they partner up with a patient that's gone through that same procedure, like stem cell transplant. And so that way that patient can say, this is what you should be expecting. And so by helping people kind of know what the journey is, then it's not so scary, number one, and you know what to expect. So that's why these uh, patients that could help you out would be another source of information and guidance, especially if you have some specific disease that you're going through. A lot of people uh, listening to us will go to or have gone to a walk-in clinic. So what's your advice on how to get the most out of a visit to a walk-in clinic? Have all your information with you. Because remember, when they see you, they don't know anything about you, right? All they have is your birth date and your and your health card number, for example, and that you're a male, female, or whatever on the card. So therefore, bring your list of medications. If you want to bring all your pill bottles, that'd be helpful. And tell them which medications you're taking and then have a list of diseases that you know about. I have high blood pressure, I have diabetes. And just jot that down on a piece of paper. So that way, it's easy and convenient. And for many places, they'll just say, that's great. I'm going to photocopy it and put it into a, your chart, scan it into your chart. And that way, they're trying to make decisions quickly, but they're able to have all the information available to them uh, right away. So that's one way that you can you can help out. The other way is to, I know I, I'm, I'm very nervous about directing people to websites and things like that, but learn about the symptoms, okay? And sometimes the words. Uh, and sometimes if we know the lingo of medical language, then we know what kind of symptoms are important. You know, shortness of breath, you know, chest pain, abdominal pain, those are all very important words. Uh, and so therefore having the right words to talk to the doctor would be helpful in a walk-in clinic. And then remember, if you're going to a walk-in clinic, then you need to keep track of that information because there won't be anybody there keeping track of you long-term. So just make a note of whatever diagnosis you had, what kind of medications that you were given, and then whether the medications worked or not. So let's say it's for a, a bladder infection or something like that. Did that medication work? Did I have any side effects? And then you can keep a record of that. And that way, even though the the care is episodic, so you're not going to see the fam- same physician, you can keep track of that information. And also ask about any aftercare. So uh, what should I do afterwards? You know, after I'm finished this prescription, do I continue on? Do I get another test? So ask about what to do afterwards. So that way, even though they won't be there to look after you. You can then visit that walk-in clinic and say, I was told to come back to have these tests done. And that way you will continue that continuity of care. Okay. So that's walk-in clinics. I wanted to mention another entry point into the healthcare system that a lot of people, including physicians, may not think a lot about uh, just because it's not top of mind. And that's community health centers or CHCs. They are nonprofit organizations that provide primary health care for individuals, families, and communities. Uh, and they have a variety of, of health professionals on site, on staff. They also have health promotion programs. Have you ever uh, either referred a patient to a CHC, community health center or or received one from such a center? I haven't, but I have heard of these beautiful centers. And that's why if people are aware of these centers, that's good. My only concern is that many patients are not aware of these centers. Um, and so therefore, they don't know where to go. So here's an example where we have a resource, but perhaps the people may not understand the resource. So let's let's turn to my turf, the emergency department. What should people do if they need emergency care? Yeah, I think think about is this a true emergency 
or is it you just can't find a physician? Because we have a lot of people that say, well, I had a bladder infection. I didn't know where to go. So then I went to the emergency department. Now, a bladder infection, for example, if there's an urgent care clinic right next to the emergency department, that would be easily um, you know, taken care of there. Whereas the emergency department, we would like to people to think about it, you know, chest pain, abdominal pain, shortness of breath, loss of consciousness or going in and out of consciousness. Those kinds of things are really what we were thinking of for the emergency room. So we don't want to turn away the inappropriate patient, but we also don't want people showing up there uh, because they, they have nowhere else to turn. So that's why it's important to know the other services that are around the walking clinic, the urgent care centers at the hospital. Um, and the community services that you were talking about. And that way we can match up um, our disease process and what we need to the level of care. So that way we can unclog the emergency department so that the people that truly have emergencies uh, will have space there and therefore their wait uh, will be reasonable. Uh, whereas right now, I think everybody just thinks it's eight o'clock at night. So I'm going to the emergency department uh, because I don't know where else to go. I, I do want to make one point because, you know, depending on where you live in Canada, there may not be any urgent care centers or walk-in clinics uh, nearby in a practical sense, and there may not be adequate public transportation to take you there in any case. So that for some people, particularly frail seniors, their only other option besides having a loved one bring them to the emergency department is for them to call 911 and we don't want them to not seek medical care just because uh, just because of all the obstacles you know if the emergency department is your only option then you should go there now how should people who don't have a healthcare provider monitor their own health yeah, that's a good point. So if you don't have a physician or whatever, what should we be looking out for? So if, if I look at it kind of in a, in a weird way, look at the things that kill people, right? So in Canada, it's still cancer, heart attacks, strokes, uh, infections, and accidents. So if we look at those top five, what can we do to make sure that we're okay? Well, accidents, we can, you know, watch where we're walking and watch on the stairs, those kinds of things. Infections, we know about masking, distancing, vaccinations, those kinds of things. So we could look after those things to reduce our risk. In terms of cancer, family history is really important. So have a look back in your family history. Did a lot of people have cancers within the family histories or heart attacks or strokes? Did they have a lot of diabetes or high blood pressure? Because these are the things things that drive heart attacks and stroke. So what you're doing is you're looking back in your family history to see if there's a pattern emerging. And if you start seeing a pattern of tons of cancers, then that means we have to focus some of your uh, testing on the cancer side of things. Um, if we see that, you know, there's a lot of heart disease kind of stuff, then we'd have to start looking at blood pressure and cholesterol and diabetes and smoking and weight. Um, and I think that might be a useful way to prevent you from having those diseases in the first place. And I think that might be a good strategy in terms of cancer risk, in terms of heart attacks, strokes, those kinds of things. And for sure, accidents. Like, I mean, if you look at fall prevention, if we just do the get up and go test, you can do it on yourself. Or if you're doing it on grandma, you can tell her just get up out of the chair, walk 10 feet, turn around and walk and come sit back down in the chair. And if you notice grandma wobbling all over the place or during the turn, she's very unsteady, you've just identify a person that's going to fall. And if she falls in the bathroom, there's a lot of things to hit. 
So immediately we can put in things to make sure that we can take care of it. So even if she didn't have a doctor, we can say, okay, we need grab bars in the bathroom. We need this. We need this. We need this. So a whole bunch of things can come into mind as soon as you identify the risk. So if you don't have a physician, then you will play the role of Sherlock Holmes to figure out, you know, what's in my family history? What is the, what is, what are the diseases that I have to watch out for? Uh, and then therefore go from there to pre- prevent those diseases from occurring. Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to like perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. What about investing in devices that allow people to monitor some aspect of their own health at home? Yeah, it's great. I think uh, people getting blood pressure cuffs, you know, when it goes on sale, that's a good time to buy it. If they has a check mark, it means that it's been approved uh, and that it's a, it's a reliable source. There are now glucose monitors. You can measure your sugar levels. Um, there are some devices that you leave in your skin for like two weeks. So then you can see what happens to your sugar uh, when you eat certain things or when you exercise or when you get stressed out. And you could actually figure out what is driving your sugar, for example, for diabetes. Um, we can measure your heart rate. There's all those Fitbits and those kinds of, you know, uh, smart watches. And we've been very, those have been very useful for um, COVID because a lot of people are saying their heart is beating funny after they get the infection. So we can actually catch that, you know, on these, uh, on these little tracker things because they're with you 24 hours, you know, a day. And so we could actually see several days and then we could pick up whether your heart is having these abnormal rhythms. So those are very useful as well. And then the key is to understand what the numbers mean. So for example, blood pressure, we need to know that the top number is when your heart is pumping. So that's the highest pressure in the system. And the bottom number is the pressure when your heart is not beating. So that's the back pressure. So if those numbers are high, um, we need to know how high, like a perfect person is 120 over 80. So then you get a sense that if my I'm reading 160, that's probably not a good thing. If the bottom number is 100, that doesn't sound very good either. So all of a sudden, you understand what the numbers mean. And then you can either get help or take your medication or be encouraged to keep taking your medication. So it can actually help you. Okay, so let's talk about prescription refills. You know, imagine that uh, I had a family doctor for many years um, and I was on uh, medications for blood pressure, type 2 diabetes and and elevated uh, lipids. And my uh, family doctor retires and I can't get a replacement. How do I get my prescription refills? It's really tough. So first of all, try and get as many refills as possible. And I, I think a lot of family doctors have been putting three refills, you know, so to cover you for the year, as long as you're stable. Um, so that way you will have prescriptions there. The pharmacist can actually renew prescriptions, um, chronic medications that you have uh, without needing a prescription from a physician. Now, you will eventually need one, of course, but in a bind, they can actually um, sort of give you medication. They have the right to do that. 
because they know that you've been taking a long time and it's been chronic and you haven't changed the dose. Um, so pharmacists can definitely help out in that situation. This is where the walk-in clinic in a, in a crunch uh, will be very useful. So you can go there and you can say, here's my prescriptions from before. And like I said, bring your medication, show them that you've been taking this for a long time and that you need a renewal of the prescription. So the walk-in clinics will be quite happy with that. Um, narcotics, nobody is happy with renewing those ones. So if you're taking pain medications, that one you have to make sure. So if you know your family doctor is retiring, um, then basically you need to make arrangements um, to make sure that that gets transferred to somebody else uh, only because narcotics can be abused and things like that. So that's why the walk-in clinics may not be very happy to renew those ones. Uh, and so that is one that you should be looking at. Healthcare providers recommend that patients get routine screening for cancer, and there are a number of things that they can do, colonoscopies for uh, for colon cancer, uh, mammography for breast cancer, PSA for prostate cancer, just to name a few. Where should people go? to get those kinds of screening tests if they don't have a family doctor. Yeah, that's tough. And 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 this is where, again, sometimes the walk-in clinics are very helpful. They don't really want to do the screening test for you. But if you just say, look, I'm 50 years old, I need this done. And this is where you will have to, as a as the person in charge of your health, figure out what screening tests you need to do because you don't have a family doctor sort of quarterbacking for you. And so again, we look back at your family history. So what did other people ahead of you uh, have? So what kind of cancers, what kind of things? So that way you can hone in and focus. So let's say you were talking about colonoscopy. So, um, you know, it's above 50 years of age. If you're a normal risk, we recommend. But let's say you have a family member that had colon cancer at 45. So the recommendation is that we should be screening you at 10 years before that, right? Because we don't want to wait until you're 45. So knowing some of that basic information would guide you into um, when you should be getting testing and so on and so forth. Um, heart disease, for example, you know, at a certain age, we should be checking our cholesterol. At age 40, we should be having our cholesterol done regardless of whatever your risk is. So we should do that as well. You know, blood pressures, you can check that at the pharmacy. They have the machines there if you don't want to buy your own machine. And then quitting smoking and weight loss and all those things are, are very important. And so those are the things that we should have a list in our mind. And in addition to that, Peter, some provinces have self-referral for screening tests for cancer. So a good place to contact, a good destination to get information about that would be the Provincial Cancer Care Agency because they're going to have resources on whether or not you can self-refer. Yeah, and that, and that's great, right? Because people need to be aware of that self-referral. And that's why oftentimes I talk about it like you're the contractor, right? Like you're you're the one that's going to be in charge of getting these, these subcontractors to work with you. So if you think of it that way, um, then it's not so onerous because you know the information, you know your risk, and then you can go ahead and access them. Not all things can we have access to that and but perhaps in the future, they'll have more of these things available, not just for cancer, but maybe for heart disease and diabetes screening and those kinds of things as well. Here's another issue. Suppose you need a specialist and you don't have a family doctor. How the heck do you get to one? That, that one is tough because the way our system works is that in order to not overuse the specialist, because otherwise everybody would say, oh, I have a headache. I need to see a neurologist, you know, for example. So that's why 
the gatekeepers are the primary care doctors or the the nurse practitioners. So they assess you to see whether you need a specialist or not. So that system works very well. So that way we don't overuse the system. And also when you might not think you need a specialist, but then we assess you and think, no, 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 there's something else going on. Then we can send you for that. So it helps with making sure that we don't overuse our specialists, but we also make sure that the patients don't get missed. So the system works very well. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the quickest way is through the emergency doctor when we see you and then you say, wow, you know, you've got this problem. You need to get hooked up with a specialist. And so therefore, unfortunately, that's how some people will get to their specialist. The other thing that I've started to tell people about is these patient groups, you know, like Diabetes Canada, you know, Arthritis Society. They have a lot of useful information. So even though you might think you need to see a specialist because it's very, you know, my legs are paining me terribly. I need to see a specialist. But sometimes when you connect into these websites and and they give you information back and they say, you could try this to help with your low back pain and this and with your sciatica, those kinds of things. And then you could try some of those things as you're waiting to get your family doctor appointment or to get a specialist appointment. Some people have said, you know, I did those things and then everything got uh, much better. And so therefore, my need to see the specialist was gone because I wasn't having this horrible pain anymore and so on and so forth. So that's another possibility is that, you know, getting good, reliable information from, let's say, these societies and then trying some of those recommendations may be helpful. What about, again, we're talking about people who don't have access to primary care, family physician or nurse practitioner. Um, what are they supposed to do about their medical records? Yeah, this is where you become the record keeper. So whether you want to keep it in paper format or whether you have an app that you want to scan things into or whatever it is, all of your tests, if you can keep a copy of it, that would be very useful because then the record is with you. So therefore, if you move to another province or you finally find another physician, you've got all the records with you. And therefore, there's no, you know, what kind of pills are you on? A blue one, you know, that kind of situation, right? So you know your names of medications, you have a list of your diseases that you've been diagnosed with. You might have some of your reports because every report will be generated into a paper version somewhere. And so you can now take a picture of that and then keep it within your phone. Now, if you want to get a little bit more complicated, of course, we can write down the diseases. And I have a patient that types it out. So she just he just has a Word document. And every time he gets another diagnosis, he just adds another line. And every time he comes to see me, he just prints me out that copy. And the beauty of that is that I don't have to dig through my chart or look on the computer. I have a list of his drugs that he's currently taking. And so very quickly, within two seconds, I can have a glance at that. And then I can start my conversation with my patient. But now I have all that information sort of etched in my mind for the next 10 minutes. So therefore, everything is fresh and I won't miss anything. So that's something that as a patient you can do. If you happen to know that your family physician is retiring or moving away, uh, then, it, then that would be a really good time to gather some records from your family physician, you know, before you start looking for a new one, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. So you can either gather at that point, or I've been telling people just to collect it as you go. So in other words, let's say you get a diagnosis of this today, just write that down. So it's kind of like doing the work now, instead of waiting to try and do all of the work at once, because your family doctor will get a lot of requests for, I want my records and things like that. 
And so therefore that ends up delaying things. And a lot of times they say, well, we need to send it to somebody. So now you have to find a doctor before you can get your records. Some physicians will say, okay, here's a photocopy of your records. But if you think about it, do I need every single piece of paper in the chart to describe what your you know condition is? And the answer is probably no. Um, so as you collect, um, I, I hate to say the word diseases, but as you collect treatments and you meet different specialists, just collect that information. Dr. Peter Lin, you have been, again, as always, a fountain of great information. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you very much, Brian, for all your work, and thank you for having me on your show. Dr. Peter Lin is a Toronto-based family physician and the house doctor on CBC Radio 1. Here's your dose of smart advice. There is no doubt that it's best to have a family doctor or nurse practitioner who knows your history and follows you throughout your life. The current reality is that millions of Canadians don't have one. Ask family and friends if their primary care providers are taking on new patients. You can also check with the Provincial College of Physicians and Surgeons and the Provincial Toll-Free Health Information Line. If you need medical advice and don't have a primary care provider, you can visit a walk-in clinic. Look online to see the one nearest you. You can also visit a community health centre or CHC. They are non-profit organizations that provide primary health care for individuals, families and communities as well as health promotion programs. In many provinces, you can get answers to questions about symptoms and about specific health concerns 24-7 by calling a toll-free number that connects you to a health professional, such as a nurse. That service can help you figure out if you can wait to try and reach a doctor the next day or go to the nearest ER. If you do seek medical advice from a provider who doesn't know you, it's important to know your own medical history and things like your list of medical conditions medications, vaccinations, and the specialists you see. To help you keep track of your health at home, there are devices that monitor your blood pressure, heart rate and rhythm, and blood sugar. If you need cancer screening, contact your provincial cancer agency to see if you can get screening mammograms and other tests if you don't have a family doctor. If you have a regular pharmacist, they'll have your complete list of medications. In many provinces, your pharmacist can renew those prescriptions. If you don't have a primary care provider and need to see a specialist, you will almost certainly need to visit a walk-in clinic or ER to obtain a doctor's or nurse practitioner's referral. The bottom line is that not having a primary care provider is a challenge to receiving care, but it's not a deal-breaker. The key is to know your medical history and be proactive about what you need. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcast. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.